0: But, Lizbeth, I can't take credit for being my idea. The difference is I graduated from high school in 1964. Okay. So what were my prospects? What was I told to expect? We didn't have a plan. We women. Right. There was no plan. It was you were going to marry somebody and you are going to have some kids and you were going to have a house. And, and frankly, I, I'd been brought up. Thinking that way. And yes, you want to be educated. You need to go to university, which I did. I went to UCLA so that you have a broad education um, and hopefully you'll have a lovely home and you'll have some well-behaved kids and you'll have a husband who makes a ton of money and so on. Doesn't have too many affairs or publicly. Uh, and, right. and, and I that
1: was the world that I was being raised to enter. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth. And that's you as in university but we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Elizabeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. I'm so excited for sisters and brothers to bring to you today, Lynn Parmeter Bowman. Lynn is the author of Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them, but Lynn is so, so much more. And she and I have been having so much fun in our pre-conversation that I just about forgot to hit the record button. Lynn has worked as an actress, a makeup artist, a journalist, and a television weather person. She's written books with the actress Deidre Hall, and she's just had many, many amazing accomplishments and experiences. So Lynn, thank you so much for being here on Persistence U today. I really appreciate it. I am so happy to be here. And, and I love this
0: whole idea, Elizabeth, because I've spent a lot of time with my butt in the dirt, if you know what I mean. I've been bucked off. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to a lot of rodeos, as they say. And um, I I just kept on Keeping on, you know, which is how you end up with a resume that looks like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, (laughs) I love your resume. Well, and um, as I told you when we were talking before, part of it was because I grew up in L.A. I was born in Hollywood, California, of all the crazy places to be born. So right smack in the middle of this industry, and L.A. is very much a company town. So that was what my friends were doing, and that was what we were doing for work. And I will not say that I did any of it particularly well <laughs> because, you know, we we would try stuff. And uh, I've come, the older I get, the more I embrace this, that failure is our best friend. You know, the more you are willing to just try it and right. see if it works and try it again and try a different version of it. And, you know, I think one of the complaints that people have about the generation of kids that's coming out of school now and going into college now is that the the whole helicopter parent idea has put failure in the wrong category, you know, in the bad category. Right. Failure is the only way we really learn. You know when you watch toddlers trying to navigate, um, they learn by falling over and by bumping their head and by getting their fingers squished and so on, <laughs> and they cry. and um the wise parent goes, "Oh, sorry, honey, you know um, and and that's how we learn. and it continues on and on and on, and we hopefully never stop learning. Um, and as you know, i'm I'm older than dirt now, so, <laughs> uh, I, I think that, that I'm here representing grandmas and grandpas as people who, you know, the the more you embrace continuing to learn, uh, right. and yeah, we know stuff because we're old, but the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, right? Uh, which and the more you can stay open uh, to knowing new stuff all the time and not
1: knowing stuff, uh, the happier you are. I think. I think that's so fantastic. And I like that you have embraced that whole career pivot because you're right. I mean, you grew up in California and Hollywood. You're the first person I know born there. But I worked at Taco Bell as a teen. It makes sense that if you grew up in Hollywood, you'd work in film. And then it led to something else. Yeah. Then it led to something else. And I think a lot of times we pressure people, young people especially, lock into one thing, stay there miserably for the next 30 to 40 years. Then you can let go and maybe have a little time on the backside to see what's left and enjoy doing the things you like. And it looks like you've allowed yourself to just evolve and enjoy the ride.
0: I graduated from high school in 1964. Okay. So, what were my prospects? What was I told to expect? We didn't have a plan, we women. Right. There was no plan. It was you were gonna marry somebody and you're gonna have some kids and you were gonna have a house. And and frankly, I, I'd been brought up thinking that way. And yes, you want to be educated. You need to go to university, which I did. I went to UCLA so that you have a broad education. Um, and hopefully you'll have a lovely home and you'll have some well-behaved kids, and you'll have a husband who makes a ton of money and so on, doesn't have too many affairs or publicly. And, right. and, and I that was the world that I was being raised to enter. And that was my expectation. But things happen. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, I, and I mean, I also like to point out to the young ones now that in 1964, I didn't have the option of going to Harvard because Harvard wasn't co-ed. I couldn't go to Harvard. Right. And there were a lot of other top schools that were not available to me and law schools and all these things. So uh, and I also have friends, by the way, more or less my age, who struggled to to get into this world and and perhaps got law degrees and got their first job as an attorney and who lasted about three weeks and went, I hate this. Right. right? I don't want to live my life like this. So to their credit and, and teachers. I have more than one girlfriend who, because their parents said, well, get your teaching degree as a back, you know, it's a good thing. And they spent their first few weeks in the classroom and and ran screaming, I can't do this. This is not a thing I can do. So I come from a a generation of women who did what they had to do to survive, but not many of us went out there going, I'm going to do what I want to do. Right. You know. It, that that really wasn't our mentality, um, and I hmm, maybe there's someone who would argue with me about that, but
1: I like it, that. I, I, I can really appreciate that too because even I went to college just a teeny bit later. Even when I went to college uh, the first time before I failed out, there were women talking about getting their their MRS degree, you know, their Mrs. degree. That's what they went to college for was to fulfill what what their life's purpose was, was to get married and have children. Boom, that's it. And so for you, and we talked a little bit about this before, but you, not unlike me, you ended up in a marriage that wasn't safe to stay in. And so you needed to land on your feet, which you did, which I loved hearing that, that you, you know, eventually you did. Yes, you did acting, you did journalism, you did things. When did you feel like when you have three little kids and, a marriage that didn't, uh, you could not safely stay in. When did you start feeling like, wait a minute, I think I can do this? I think I've got some skills that I can support my family.
0: You know, uh, this may sound odd, but I never doubted my own ability to work. I knew I could work. I'd been working since I was 12 or 13. Um, I always worked. Right. Uh, And, uh, you know, it was babysitting. It was cleaning houses. It was doing age appropriate things. And then and I nannied um, and then I began to um, I was I was always a good writer. I wasn't a trained writer, but I had the ability to work in those kinds of things. And um, and wonderful. Not a lot of other people were. I mean, if I was not great, they were lousy, right? So you know, <laughs> I it, love it. It was like swinging a tool belt, you know, right. it was just like, I can do that. Okay. Um, and I, and it never occurred to me that I would need a degree to do these things. Okay. And, and today the comparison, I talked to so many young people who just assume that without a degree, they're nothing. Well, no, uh, I beg to differ. Skills are skills. Right. And, and if you know how to behave in a business environment and how to do a resume and how to offer service skills that are needed somewhere, you, you know, somebody always will take you up on that. And, um, and it doesn't hurt to present yourself well. So, and my dad actually, uh, let me give him some credit here for, um, I, it, we grew up, of course, eating dinner around the table, which is the thing that I like to talk about, as you know, uh, because I think that's where culture begins, I mean, and and so many of us are driving through and eating out of a bag and, you know, taking kids to practice and ball games and all these things, and we're not having dinner or, or a meal at all around the table. But I grew up sitting at a table with my dad and my mom and my older brother and sister. And so... I didn't realize it at the time, but my dad, who was a marketing executive, he would hold forth every night, of course, because he was king of the table. Um, and so I was getting an MBA marketing class every night at dinner. Wow! You know, I was absorbing everything that he said about how he dealt with his you know, sales team and how he dealt with dealt with manufacturing and distribution and what the, you know, all the little things. That you don't think of at the time as being an education, but then when you go out in the world, you realize that it's all in there. It's part of you. Um, Maybe it's a grandparent that you're listening to. Maybe it's the guy who trains the horses that you ride. You know, it's there's someone in your life who is giving you wisdom all the time of some kind, whether you know it or not. And in my case, it was marketing. (laughs) industrial marketing. So so I sort of I could talk that trash, you know, when I went out and and was looking for jobs, I I knew that language. And um and I also enjoyed it. You know, there was something about it that appealed to me. So that kind of guided me along a path. But what I always what I thought I wanted to do was illustration. I loved Doing Ooh. fashion illustration. Okay. And it's fun. Um, but nice young ladies didn't go to trade school. And so instead of going, I studied at Art Center School in Los Angeles when I was still in high school. But nice young ladies, that was a trade school. It, and so I needed to go to university, UCLA. Okay. So I did. And I found it incredibly boring. Um, you know there were motorcycles to be ridden. You know there were things to do. There was a world out there, and and I actually liked to work. And I thought, you know, I want people to pay me to write stuff. I don't want to pay people to read the stuff I write. You know, right? In my nineteen-year-old wisdom or twenty-year-old wisdom, (laughs) I took off for Paris. Oh, Um, wow! But also, Lisbeth, my life was shaped as so many lives are by things that happened. And my mother died when I was 18. So immediately, I was not living the life of most American 18 year old women because I had no mom and I had no home anymore. Right. Oh, wow. My mom had been, uh, uh, had a chronic disease. And so, the money was gone. The house was gone. My dog was gone. My dad sort of started a new life. My brother and sister were gone. So at the age of 18, I was emancipated in this kind of rough way, but my ass was on the lawn. I mean, I was alone Mm -hmm. in the world in most ways, which You know, in in one way you go, wow, that's rough. But I was free. I was free. And this conversation to me is so interesting with young women now and their moms. So many women live a life where they are controlled by a mother, a grandmother, a husband, a boyfriend. Right. And I had a taste of freedom when I was 18 years old. And I had enough skills and enough, I don't know, cheekiness or something that I was okay with it. I thought, no, I can do this. It's all right. And I enjoyed my freedom. And I was willing to take some lumps. And I I think I had angels on my shoulders, too, because I probably should have crashed and burned, you know, more seriously than I did. But um, it was it was all fascinating to me, and I survived it, and I managed to get work and in, in stuff that was left off that resume um, until I started getting real jobs. And I think Redkin Laboratories was my first real job. Okay. And, um, and many of you know that that's a hair product company, sure. which I thought, cool, all right, you know, cosmetics, I can do that. And three weeks after being hired to be a a production artist, I walked in on a Monday morning and everyone in the department, but me had been fired. Oh, scary. Okay. And so what did I do? (laughs) Of course my dad, you know, I marched into the president's office and said, you know, I think we can do this if you'll let me just, you know, hang in there for that and we'll hire people and we can just, and so she said, all right, all right. The president of the company was a woman. I thought that was fantastic. And you know what? I did it. I went to the vendors who were working with the department, the guys that were doing the, the typesetting and all this stuff. And I said, teach me everything quick, mm-hmm. uh, the printers. And they did. And so I got this graduate course in print production and advertising production in weeks from these guys. And I hired a couple people and I met. So at the age of 21, I was the advertising manager of a large and up and coming cosmetic company. Oh my goodness. But you know, this is how, the world operates, right? Right. And and I've always tried to teach the people who I mentor or, you know, in the classes that I've taught, say, yes, just say, yeah, okay.
1: And then figure it out because you can. Right. I love it. That, I mean, it's been such an interesting career. You've been reinvented so many different times. Now you're in your seventies and you could well retire. So what inspires you to keep going and doing these new things like this incredible cookbook? Um, okay. Well, and you know, the
0: real answer to that, Elizabeth, is vanity. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I'm not going to admit that I'm finished, right? Until right. I'm finished. You know, right. You keep punching. Um, the book was a labor of love because my, my kids kept saying to me, Ma, you need to tell people, you need to t- tell people how you cook you need to write this stuff down. And i go, nah, cause I, no, 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 you need to write this stuff down because I was diabetic. I, was, oh, there's Vigo come picture. Uh, I was diagnosed as dia- diabetic when I was in my forties. And okay. so over the decades, I learned how to control it with food and exercise and the, the medical community was no help. I mean, it just wasn't because Back in the day, um, <laughs> the dawn of time when I was in my 40s, <laughs> um, the medical community did not heal with food. They didn't want to talk about food. It's like, yeah, 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 lose some weight and you know, don't eat too many carbs and stuff. But everyone by now understands that most MDs get practically no training in nutrition. And, and, and at the same time, we're figuring out that a huge number of these chronic diseases are diseases of food, strictly related to what people are eating and how they're moving. And of course, diabetes is right up there on the list. Right. So so I w- was a self-taught diabetes expert who had reversed my own diabetes. And I want everybody to know how to do that It's not complicated, it's easy and it involves eating brownies and donuts. Hello, you know, wouldn't you wanna share that with the world? It's like, and I got this little book right here.
1: Yeah, tell us the title again because the subtitle is particularly interesting to me. Okay, it's Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook
0: for diabetics and the people who love them.
1: Yes. Which is important
0: because that means everybody in the world, by the way, and it also means that it's very hard to be a diabetic alone in a family, for example, or in an office where people go, "Well, what's? Why don't you want these donuts?" Well, because they'll kill me. Right. Oh, um, you need support. It, you know, you it it's you're going to be most successful if you have your friends and family supporting you. But here's the 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 secret: is that by eating the way a diabetic should eat everybody would be way healthier right and live longer and be happier and sleep better and have better sex everything if they would just do things the way diabetics are supposed to do because it's all the same it's eating whole food plant based food real food mm-hmm. you know that that's really it and and michael pollan is is famous for saying not too much but If you eat real food, you have a hard time eating too much because you get full, which is totally different from eating Doritos or something, which is an engineered food that is engineered to keep you eating.
1: And hungry. And even restaurant food is I, I once had a kid tell me who worked at McDonald's that they spritzed the salads with a little bit of sugar water because it keeps you hungry and you're going to order more. So even trying to make quote unquote healthy choices at restaurants is pretty much impossible. We don't control what goes in the food. Yeah. We have a whole
0: country and we're spreading this throughout the world that is addicted to sugar. And and I don't use the word addicted, you know, carelessly. Exactly. It is truly an addiction, just like heroin is an addiction. In fact, there's there's science behind the idea that sugar is more addictive than heroin. And um, so, my answer to that is: if I told you that I was addicted to heroin, would you say to me, "Well, you ought to cut back, honey"? Yeah.
1: No, <laughs> you'd say, "Stop using it."
0: Stop. Right. Stop now. You're going to get. So, yeah. And I, I opened it, the the book to this page, Elizabeth, because I I love doing this. I don't know if you can see it particularly it's well, but very lovely, lovely donut, donut pictures. Yes, made with my recipe, and this is what's in my recipe. This is what is in a certain popular chain of drive-through donut right recipes. That which you can't see because it's in small type,
1: and even if you could see it, you couldn't pronounce any of it. I heard one person, because I think the, the term whole foods, it's hard for people to understand what that is because most of us haven't grown up with them anymore. So I heard one person say recently, look, look at it this way. If it's been advertised on TV, don't eat it. Yeah. It's just a food. It's just the food as it was meant to be. It has no label with a whole bunch of ingredients necessarily. So I was like, oh, that's a very simple description of what we could be doing.
0: Yeah, it, it's really not complicated at all. Uh, but if, and and I'm that awful friend who may have come over to your house and opened your cupboards up and gone. Um, do you realize you have nothing in here except sugar and processed flour?
1: <laughs> Popular, uh, I'm sure, at, at Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and <that's> holidays. <laughs> but I think that's fantastic that you're doing it. Does it? Does it give you? Like what's been the response from people in your family and in the community who's bought your book? Well, um,
0: I'm suddenly thinking of all these stories. Um, (laughs) Family is is different. Right. Right. Right? Um, Because family, there are certain things we can't say to family members and certain things they can't say to us. And uh, my husband is very supportive particularly Elizabeth and I'll, uh, let me tell you a little story in 2019 I went to the Plantricians conference oh. and I was had the book about half done and this is a group of mds from all over the world who believe in the science of healing with food uh, and some big names that you might have heard T Colin Campbell and Dean Ornish and I wanted to go it was in Oakland and I thought I yeah and I had the book. I had a little promo piece on the book done. I thought I'm going to show them and see if they would be interested in using this in their practice. So I went to this conference and for five days, I watched PowerPoints from eight in the morning till eight o'clock at night um, and saw the data around plant-based eating. Oh, okay. And it's pretty frightening that it, and, So I absorbed, and by frightening, I don't mean that plant-based is frightening. I mean that eating meat is not good for your health, basically. And I had always been a meat eater because diabetics were always told to eat protein and no carbs or few carbs and so on. So my husband picked me up to take me home from this thing, and I got in the car and I said, okay, guess what? And, of course, no man ever wants to hear that from Their girlfriend, their wife. Um, but he said, What? And I said, I'm a vegan now. And then there was kind of a silence, and then he said, Okay, I'm in. Um, so we for six months we did an experiment on ourselves and did not eat one bite of animal food. Nothing for six months. And I had just had my test, my blood work done. So then I went in and got. Retested my blood work and I had been a relatively well controlled diabetic. But after six months with no animal food, my numbers came down dramatically. So I went from being a well controlled diabetic to being, oh, you're not really diabetic anymore. Wow. Diabetic. Yeah. And so now at this point, I do eat eggs and I talk about them in the book, I eat, um, let's say beef that is plant fed, that is, um, raised right here on local pastures and not fed corn and, you know, um, healthy, well raised beef. I will eat once in a while, not often, but it's, that is not the way the the world is going that direction but they're mm-hmm. not there yet and there's information coming out all the time that th- there's so much science behind the value of eating food that's whole that comes out of good dirt and is not polluting which is another thing you know when you eat healthier yourself, when you eat well you're also doing good things for the community and for the earth it's not i mean we're all part of this system you know that that makes us not separate in our need for oreos right right it's, it's there's the packaging that's involved there's the chemicals that are involved there are the people that do the work you know and and so when you get down to i want to eat ethically let's just say that I want to eat ethically. Well, guess what? Okay. Um, great. I agree with you, but it's not something that many people are ready to embrace yet because it means doing things differently.
1: Radically like- differently than the average American diet, especially I would say, but what are some, cause I, I hate for people to think that they have to go from American diet to vegan but what are some baby steps that people could take that could show some results and work, move the needle bit by bit? Well, and I, I don't even think of them as baby
0: steps, Elizabeth, because the, any one of these things can be major. If you, mm-hmm. if it's your habit, I mean, here's one small example. Everybody stops at Starbucks or Pete's for their coffee in the morning, and it's a part of your life and you love it. And you know, and, Pumpkin pie spice comes out, and you want it. Well, one of the first things I would want anybody to do is cut that out right now. And if you go for coffee, it needs to be black coffee. Nothing in it. No sugar, no pumps of anything, um, no milk-like substance of, you know, and and I, I mean, I I'm not. As a, I'm not opposed to oat milk or anything like that. Sure. But it, but taste what real good black coffee tastes like, and you may find you like it. I do I've loved it for a long time, and I drink a ton of coffee black, nothing in it. So that's a number one thing. And if you can, just experiment with no sugar. Okay. Because it's such an eye-opener to see that anything in a bag or a box, whether it's a cereal or a meat product or pasta or whatever, it's got sugar in it. You're eating sugar day and night. So those are two quick things. Okay. Another thing that, that uh, and we don't have time today, maybe we can do this again, right. but the whole idea of time-restricted eating, the, whole, the word restricted bothers people, but um, people need to learn to not eat
1: all the time. Right, eat in a window. Eat in a oh, like if uh, here's how I've heard about it is pretend your house is a restaurant and there there's an open time, you know, when the restaurant opens, and there's a shut time, and and don't work around the clock. And the
0: more the more you know about physiology and biology, the, the more you understand things like here's one of my favorite new vocabulary words. I love it, autophagy. It's this process that takes place in your cells after not eating for a certain amount of time. and there, there's a lot of new science coming out, new research coming out about well, how long do are we talking about? Well, what do we mean? Well what does autophagy look like? And mm-hmm. I think of it as the road crew that comes out. after all the traffic is gone, you know, on the freeway, then the guys come out with the shovels and the brooms and the stuff and they clean and they repair and, but they can't do it while the traffic is whizzing down the road our bodies are absolutely the same way. They are designed to clean themselves and repair all these cells to repair themselves, but they can't do it while you're digesting food, while you're eating and digesting food. So you need to leave something like 12 hours, maybe more, and I've heard 16 hours, 18 hours, between your last meal of the day and your next meal of the next day, and when you when you add that up, you go, "Well, that, oh, I I could do that." That's right, you could do that. And it and I've also heard lots of science about. Well, do you mean skip breakfast or do you mean skip dinner? And the answer to that is, yeah. What works for you? Right. In my case. I eat at eight or nine in the morning and I eat at two, three in the afternoon. And that's my last meal. I don't eat at night. And if you want to do one thing that improves your health, will get rid of your GERD, your your acid Mm -hmm. reflux, you'll lose some weight. You'll feel more energetic. If you're having digestive problems of any kind, they're likely to clear up. Stop eating at night.
1: That's more difficult than it sounds for, for people in that habit. But I love the, you know, I love that you're talking about this because people, we can work toward this. We can work toward this. Of course, I would always say for any person out there is like, you want to go to your doctor. You want to make sure that you don't have certain medical things. This is not medical advice, but fact of the matter is food is, can be, should be therapeutic can be medicine for our bodies. And the way that we eat it has everything to do with how we feel. And I used to work in a government office where we had a few people struggling with migraines who I kindly pointed out that sometimes when you go to the vending machine and you eat what's in there, it seems like right after that, you have to go home. Could there be a relationship? And I know people get very upset by that, but the fact of the matter is there are so many things like amazing cream in our coffee that I love so much, but that <laughs> can really affect us differently. And the older we get, the more it impacts us. And I really had to reconcile that as I've gotten older and had to renovate my own Another diet. and continue to
0: look at it, Elizabeth, is that by eating the way most Americans do, the sad American, the, the standard American diet, the sad diet, you're eating beige all the time, brown, you know, when you push that off your plate, what does it open up the door for? Mm -hmm. Color, flavor, spices, taste. You will find, it's like, how did I live without arugula? How did I live without ahi sauce? How did Mm -hmm. I live without these beautiful foods that are now my favorite things? And I was too busy eating really bad
1: burgers. right, right. Um,
0: So it isn't a matter of deprivation. I don't think of it that way at all. And when I eat my meals, I don't, I mean, I eat what I want. I eat as much as I want. I eat lustily and happily and well, but I don't eat crap. Right. I eat good food and, and I make most of it. So I know what goes into it. Um, And right there you go. Yeah, well, she cooks, you know, well, yeah, I'm a lady. (laughs) and I'm a messy cook and that's why I wrote my book because it doesn't need to be hard it can right. be really really simple and and my superpower if I have one was putting a meal on the table in 15 minutes and my huh? friends all know that they can arrive at my door and 10 minutes later there's something on the table for them i mean it's it's if you know how to do it and my book will tell you how you you can easily put good, beautiful food on the table in no time at all, because I'll tell you what to have in your freezer and what to have in your pantry. And my darling friends, you're going to save money. We're all talking now about how much food costs and how right. costs up and so on. And when the the poop first hit the fan and everybody was talking about empty shelves and so on, You know, I was out there in the produce department. I was alone, and I had all this food.
1: It was not a problem, and it's still not a problem. The pop tarts were gone, the chips were gone, toilet paper was gone, but lots of vegetables left behind.
0: (laughs) There was a ton, and and you know, it's really it's it's not rocket science. You know, right? Um, I can I can pay two dollars for a giant bunch of dark greens, and if you could see. How nutritious those are, and taste how fabulous they are! You go, wait, two bucks for that? Yeah, two that's bucks. Wonderful,
1: that. that's wonderful.
0: And when was the last time you
1: drove through and got a meal? You know, it, that's fifteen bucks now. Right, twenty. Actually, yesterday I did spend twenty dollars. Okay. I hadn't eaten out in a long, long time, and uh, I went out and I got, got you, didn't I? Yes. And it was meat. Don't get me wrong. It was meat. I'm not going to lie, but absolutely groceries are going up. So this does matter. And the same thing with having a window of when you eat, you can save a lot of money even by just at least a few days a week, even thinking about shutting your eating window down or eating within a range that makes sense. Even a few days a week can help as you climb. And I want we probably should wrap up soon, but I did de- I definitely oh, want to hear where people can get a hold of you and your work. I just love what you've done. That picture of the donut was so beautiful that you made. And I know that, you know, this is a labor of love for you, but it's also a labor of love for everyone who's been ill or who doesn't want their loved one to be so anymore.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's really simple is that this I have a website. It's lynnbowman.com, L Y N N E B O W M A N. And everything is there. The book's listed. If the book is on Amazon. You can go to your independent bookseller, and I hope you will, and ask them for it. And when they go, Love gosh, it. I'm not carrying that, well, it's fantastic. You need to carry this book. Um, they can get it from their wholesaler and order it for you. But it's but you can get it today on amazon and and I hope you'll you'll get one um and give me a review on Amazon because that helps other people also to to know what what really goes on with the book. and if you go to my website you can sign up right on the first page on Lynn's list and I will send you free uh, uh, the Mimi's badass Brownie recipe, which is the the recipe of brownies for breakfast and also a few other things. I don't send a lot of stuff out because I'm lazy, but um, <laughs> I I sent some other recipes out and I will send you a little, a piece about sweeteners that are the really good sugar replacements because I've already told you that I want you to quit sugar. So in order to do that, you need to know what the best sugar replacements are now. And and I have an article on that that I've written that I am happy to send you. Love so lynn.com, just remember to put L-Y-N-N-E.
1: That's L-O-W. important.
0: That's important. Um, and I hope you will. And I you can also send me questions. There's a, a contact form on the website. So if you have questions about diabetic relatives or kids or yourself or just eating healthy, whatever, I love hearing from people. And I want you to know that I have shot all the pictures in the book, almost all of them myself. The reason being your, your food will turn out the way it does in the pictures. It wasn't shot by a team of people making it all look glamorous and so on. I took the pictures on my iPhone. So it's a, what you see oh, is what yeah. you can make that kind of deal when you use these recipes, they are so easy.
1: Good. I love that you did it. And thank you so much for sharing today, Lynn. Fantastic. Thanks for being here. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. I plan to. Thank you, Liz, with you too. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe and I'll see you next week.